The Gist is sponsored by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage right from your desk using your own computer and printer. Right now, get a no-risk trial and a $110 bonus offer by going to Stamps.com and using the promo code THEGIST. And by Sherry's Berries. Treat your mom to something sweet this Mother's Day with fresh berries dipped in chocolate starting at just $19.99. It's a great last-minute gift, and right now you can double your berries for just 10 bucks. Visit berries.com, click on the microphone, and use the code GIST. That's B-E-R-R-I-E-S dot com and the promo code GIST. It's Monday, May 4th, 2015. From Slate, it's the GIST. I'm Mike Pasca. Two presidential contenders have thrown their hats in the ring today. Do Carly Fiorina and Ben Carson, do they actually want to run for president? Or are they throwing their hats in the ring just to get Pacquiao and Mayweather to do something, hit each other, anything? This is boring. No, it seems like these two people want to be president of the United States. And nothing underlines this desire more than establishing the tableau the candidates do when they announce speaking before a group of friends and family, fresh-faced children. Are they kids? Are they grandkids? The girls are always in those pinafores, the boys in the little suit jackets waving to the crowd. Yeah, Ben Carson did not do that. Ben Carson hired a gospel choir, the gospel choir who sang Eminem's Lose Yourself in a Chrysler commercial. But for this, the presidential announcement, Ben Carson got the gospel choir to sing Eminem's Lose Yourself. Okay, so the audio of that today's event was a lot worse than the Chrysler commercial and the instrumentation wasn't as good. With any other candidate, we would criticize the stagecraft. But damn, a guy who's running for the Republican nomination was backed by a gospel choir singing Eminem's Lose Yourself. Not to be outdone, Bernie Sanders, and this did not, this shamefully did not get a lot of press coverage earlier in the week, was backed by a jug band doing an extensive cover version of Side One of the Meat Puppets Too High to Die. So, you know, candidates branching out. All right, it's definitely strange, and it doesn't take a brain surgeon to tell that this will be mocked just as much as it's celebrated. Fortunately, Ben Carson is a brain surgeon, so he could say, ah, screw it, I don't care. And I am sorry I made the brain surgeon joke. I mean, it's going to be a go-to. The guy's going to be a presidential candidate. You're going to hear the doesn't take a brain surgeon joke like three times. And I say that because I don't think Ben Carson's going to get a lot of attention. To wit, his, this was his official announcement in Detroit at the Music Hall. He actually broke the news on his local Florida TV station, WPEC-TV, and he talked to the reporter. And there, high up on the top stories list, you will find famed neurosurgeon Ben Carson announces White House campaign. In fact, when I looked, that was the number two top story on the CBS affiliate site, right above, you know, Democratic Committee endorses Murphy for Rubio Senate seat. It was above Golden State Warriors star Stephen Curry wins NBA MVP. But Ben Carson, breaking the news and telling his local CBS affiliate he will be running for president, was topped on the list by Puppy Found Abandoned on Jensen Beach Causeway. So I do not know how much the earth will shake, even if the gospel choir does a lot of stomping. On the show today, we have a song by They Might Be Giants. I spiel about the fact that there's a lot of money in politics, but we're not talking about yogurt money or potato chip money. But first, Ben Carson, he's not the only one running for president. 
Carly Fiorina is. She cites her business experience, but might that be the problem? Getting your Mother's Day shipping done is never pleasant, and there's new news out that not only does the post office have long lines, at least they charge you what they're supposed to charge you, but a suit was filed in federal court in Manhattan where a former UPS store franchise owner claimed that UPS habitually overcharged customers. The New York Post examining this claim found that two of the five Manhattan UPS stores visited charged $20 more than their lowest available price. So what I'm saying is standing online takes a lot of time. And if you're doing it at a place other than the post office, you might be paying more than you're supposed to be charged. So what's the alternative? Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, you can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package right from your desk using your own computer and printer. You'll never be overcharged. In fact, there's so many ways to save money on Stamps.com. It's more powerful than a postage meter at the fraction of the cost. You can save up to 80% off compared to a postage meter. Right now, if you use the promo code THEGIST for a special offer, you get a no-risk trial, a $110 bonus offer. It includes digital scale and up to $55 free postage. Don't wait. Go to Stamps.com. Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in the gist. That's stamps.com. Enter the gist. Carly Fiorina has never held office. Her only bid for office was in 2010. She ran for the Senate in California, lost by 10 percentage points to Barbara Boxer, somewhat of a juggernaut. But Carly Fiorina cites chief among her qualifications, her business experience. She was the only woman to lead a company in the Dow Jones Industrial Average when she took over Hewlett-Packard. Hewlett-Packard had the 11th highest revenues in the USA. Quote, I'm very proud of our record. We went from market laggard to market leader. Unlike Hillary, I've actually accomplished something. However, Holly Shulman, press secretary of the Democratic National Committee, says Fiorina failed at HP and her failures are, quote, all we need to know about her resume. Well, that's probably not true, but it is central to her campaign. So here to discuss it is Jim Ledbetter. He's the editor of Inc. He hosts Inc. Uncensored, a podcast on the Panoply Network. Hello, Jim. Mike, great to be here. So Fiorina came to Hewlett-Packard from Lucent, where she made Fortune's first ever list of the highest ranking, most powerful women executives in the U.S. That's right. You know, in in 98, we weren't ranking women until uh, Fortune said, how about this one? She's very true. And and even even Fortune on that list said that chances are good you've never heard of this person. Yeah. Uh, And so they they take some credit and then later blame, and we'll get to that, for giving Carly Fiorina the level of prominence that she deserved. And, you know, I I think there's, there's no question that Republican primary voters, a, a good chunk of them, do respect people with business experience. Now, we're going to talk about the quality of that business experience, but yeah. she can at least say – whether you like my performance or don't like my performance, I have re- I have run a genuine multinational corporation, and there's no one else in the in the race in in either party who can say that. So the biggest thing that went on at Hewlett Packard, she takes over in '99, and pretty soon thereafter, she decides against the wishes of a lot of people who are important. Hewlett Packard founders, yeah, yeah, to take over Compact Computer. Right. This, I mean, and again, I'm. I'm I'm trying to to give the benefit of the doubt here. In in retrospect, I think opinion is pretty unanimous that Hewlett Packard Compaq 
was a disaster. Uh, it destroyed billions of dollars in shareholder value. If you were if you were a Hewlett Packard shareholder beforehand, the chances that you support that merger now are close to nil because it basically destroyed your your holdings. Having said that, at the time, there were plenty of people who were pitching it as a, a solid move, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Corporate America is filled with with mergers and acquisitions. There are business studies that will tell you that fewer than 50% of them ever pan out. And so you might as well flip a coin at any given point to, to decide whether, whether it's a good idea or not. And it is not unusual for a company that finds itself challenged, as Hewlett Packard did in the, in the late 90s, to look to a merger to solve some of those problems. But it didn't work. And we should be clear about that. It was pretty much a disaster. It did not fulfill the goals that were set out by her and her allies. And she was fired from the by the board for this, this merger and not living up to, to promises. So how much she really wants to lean on that experience and how much that level of specificity matters to Republican voters, we'll, we'll see. I think in general, the pitch for her is, I have business experience. I am pro-business. I will conduct the office of president in a way that makes it easier for businesses to start up and businesses to flourish and businesses to create jobs. And that message will have some appeal. But when Mitt Romney said that, Bain's not as big a business as Hewlett Packard. He doesn't didn't have the revenue. Also not a public company. No. So the track record is a little harder. A little hard, right. And maybe not as many people, if he had screwed up, would have lost their money because, you know, you can't invest in Bain. But he was widely described as extremely successful in business. And the yeah. debate there was maybe Bain's business isn't the sort of business you should be proud of. Right. But and if Hewlett, you want Hewlett to be Packard's going to be subject to those same, yeah. I mean, assuming this, this this campaign goes goes forward, Hewlett Packard is going to be subject to the same scrutiny. They laid off something like 30,000 people, you know, under her tenure. And again, you'll have people in Republican primaries who say, hey, those 30,000 people, you know, from a corporate you know, bottom line point of view, they had to go. But other people will say, well, wait a minute. You know, we're supposed to be creating jobs, not destroying them. Again, I think for most voters, these kinds of issues are sort of a wash. There, There is a small percentage of people who are paying really, really close attention and who would make their decisions based on whether she really did a good job or didn't. But most people will just go, eh, okay, Hewlett Packard, my, my printer works pretty good. Um, <laughs> I don't remember what Compaq was, but my printer works pretty good. I, I think a point is it's fair to evaluate the candidate based on some of their own claims and her claims aren't yes. necessarily even vague. I was ta- I was one of the top dogs in a Fortune 500. It was things like I doubled revenues, but if you dig just a little bit deeper, she she doubled revenues at the expense of earnings. Is, aren't earnings more important than revenues? It's going to be a really really tough sell to anyone who's paying attention. The stock performance of the company relative to the rest of the market when she first got in it was roughly tracking the rest of the market. And then after the compact merger, you, you see the, the stock begin to, yeah. to underperform. Because there was a huge run-up in Hewlett Packard stock, but that was pre-internet bubble 2000. Well, again, everybody, went, every, went from 20 every, to you know, Pets.com yeah. was going up too. It doesn't mean it was a well-run company. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the point is not how the individual stock was doing, but how it was performing relative to the market. And it was holding its own up until around the time of the compact merger. And when it became clear that the compact merger was never going to deliver on the promises made for it, it begins to underperform and, and rather seriously so. Um, she leaves, then the stock does well. Yeah. I mean, it's just- it's I mean, just the day a, she left, it went up it like was, 7%. Yeah, it's, it's a really tough case for her to make that she was she, she was a great leader of it. And again, yeah, for, for, for experts to evaluate, absolutely we should evaluate these things. For most voters, it's in the weeds. Let's say there was no debate about the quality of her leadership at Hewlett Packard. She was the she was the genius who either created it or turned it around or or what have you. 
the fact that someone is good at that, we would love to believe that that means they will be, uh, you know, A, elected, and B, do a good job when elected. In reality, it often does not work that way. Mitt Romney is, is sort of uh, exhibit A, although, you know, I think Romney's performance as governor of Massachusetts was was if you take out the kind of normal partisan back and forth, it was was considered to be pretty good stewardship. Mike Bloomberg, obviously in New York City, is is a good example of someone who who made that happen. And I think you know three terms he got he got reelected. The voters largely uh, in, thought his performance was good. But for every Mike Bloomberg, you know, there's a Ron Lauder, there's a Ross Perot. I mean, there are so many candidates who have tried to translate this idea of business experience and politics really doesn't work that way as you you know alluded to in in your introduction she she had not a lot of trouble raising money in her mm-hmm. in her California race against Barbara Boxer however can you name the last time the Republican party nominated someone for president who had not previously been elected to an office Eisenhower mm-hmm. Was that it? Yeah. 1952, Dwight Eisenhower, well before I was born. And, you know, I don't even think Carly Fiorina's fiercest supporters would say that she's Dwight Eisenhower. Plus, I don't even think Dwight Eisenhower today could get elected in today's Republican Party. It's a very, very tough sell, even on her own terms. So my inclination would be to say, let's take the business experiences necessary argument with a huge grain of salt. It seems that Carly Fiorina achieved a high status and certainly ran a large company. It's too much to say she ran it into the ground, but she was not a good steward of that company. She made Does, a big gamble. Yeah, big gamble. And sometimes gambles don't pay off. But in retrospect, it seems like it was a foolish gamble to want to get more into the PC market than the printer market. Anyway, let's not get lost in the weeds of that. Yeah. Anything to be said just for the fact that she was qualified enough to be named to that position. She was a rock star, uh, you know, for 10 years and was exciting in that position. Yeah. Just the day in and day out of what you got to do in a company with that many employees means something. It does. It, it, it does. But it doesn't follow from that that that, that th- these are the people that I would bet on, if, if that's kind of what we're talking about, right? Like well, chances, qualify, yeah, chances, I don't think chances win, of success yeah. versus if you pluck this person into the White House, might they do a decent job? Sure. Right. Sure. Compared to whom? Ben Carson? Jeb Bush? I mean, what, what, what is the yardstick here? Well, there are so many Al people. Run, there are so many people, <laughs> so many people running in the Republican presidential primary. I can't keep track anymore. Mm-hmm. If, if the day ends in Y, the chances are there's a new candidate today. You know, we're just a few months out from the the initial Iowa straw poll, and we still don't even know who the field is. So sure, is it a reasonable predictor of competence that somebody has run an organization of this size? Yes. I don't think she's a thoroughly implausible candidate, but it's a crowded field. It's very difficult to make your mark against political professionals, no matter how appealing that is to some voters. And I think she's got a difficult, difficult task in front of her. Yeah. And plus her plan to merge with New Zealand. I got to question that. <laughs> I really do. I don't know. If yeah. Well, out. I think, you know, New Zealand's doing a, a really good job of getting into the services market and uh, and RPCs. We don't we don't make the yeah. PCs the way we used to. They're disrupting the South Pacific. Jim Ledbetter, editor of Inc. Listen to the Inc. podcast here on the Panoply Network. Thanks a lot, Jim. Thanks, Mike. Mother's Day is this weekend. It's Sunday. I'll be more specific. It's Sunday. So this is the last minute that we speak of. How do you thank your mother? Swizzles. Swizzles. Speak louder than words. What are swizzles? Freshly dipped berries with decorative swizzles. This Mother's Day, you know what to say in your heart? 
And here's how you say it out loud. A gift from Sherry's Berries from my listeners only. Sherry's Berries is offering giant freshly dipped strawberries starting at $19.99. That's over a 40% savings. And you can double the berries for just $10 more, but you have to use my code GIST. It's a lot of berries at a little price. The berries come dipped in white milk and dark chocolate. Some of them have nuts. Some of them don't. They all have that nice swizzle. Actually, a few of them have that nice swizzle. You can't, it's hard to get the swizzle with the nuts. The nuts are just a nice nutty looking berry. The only way to get the amazing deal on freshly dipped strawberries starting at $19.99, including $10 for doubling your berries, is to go to B-E-R-R-I-E-S dot com. Click on the microphone in the top right corner and type in the gist. Go to berries.com, click on the microphone, and enter my code, the gist. And now the spiel. We're not talking yogurt money. Politics is worthless. Well, worth less than Rolaids, Tums, Pepto-Bismol. That's what John Boehner told NBC's Meet the Press yesterday. We spend more money on antacids than we do on politics. This trope that politics doesn't cost that much, it's less than the corrugated box industry, it's less than the lipstick industry, it's less than the mayonnaise industry. The claim is abundant. In 2016, it's estimated the U.S. will spend $5 billion on the presidential campaign alone. Hey, the Koch brothers are spending a billion themselves on the campaigns in 2016. But so what if the Koch spend a billion? Fanta sales were $12 billion worldwide. Here's Freakonomics' Stephen Dubner talking with Brooke Gladstone of On The Media. I mean, compared to GDP, even compared to, <laughs> compared to how much Americans spend on, I don't know, chewing gum, aluminum foil, iTunes downloads in one day, one week, it's really a pitifully small amount if you think about it. U.S. sales of greeting cards, $6 billion. That's more than politics. Last year, we spent $5 billion on yogurt. That was more than the 2014 election cycle. And politics, like the fruit in yogurt, is characterized by bottom dwellers, though politics does less to embrace culture. Because we spend more on, well, take it, Bob Biersack, senior fellow at the Center for Responsive Politics. Somebody once told me that we spend more on Halloween every year than we do on politics. I don't know if that's true. Maybe it was George Will who compared it to Halloween in 2010. He wrote, total spending by all parties, campaigns, and advocacy groups concerning every office may reach a record $4.2 billion in the two-year cycle. That's about what Americans spend in one year on yogurt, but less than they spend on candy in two Halloween seasons. Occasionally, a Democrat is quoted saying, well, compare it to what we spend on whatever. Here's Gary South, Democratic consultant. You might know him from the Gary South group. He told Politico when they were saying a billion dollars, not a lot to spend on a presidential campaign because that's what Obama spent. Gary South said, even though the numbers are eye popping, let's put them into perspective. They're still far less than Americans spend every year on lipstick or dog food. Okay, so a Democrat whose livelihood is based on campaign spending, that was the Democrat they got. But at the risk of putting more lipstick on this dog, let's also trot out the most expensive Senate race everything. Right. So North Carolina, 2014, Tillis V. Hagen, $113 million spent by the campaign, spent by outside advocacy groups. Do you know last year we spent more to watch the movie Ride Along than they spent on that campaign? Yeah, Ride Along with Kevin Hart and Ice Cube. We spent more on Divergent. We spent more on The Fault is in Our Stars. Dear Brutus, The Fault lies not in our stars, but in this analogy. 
Why wouldn't sales from a ubiquitous industry, an industry that is in every supermarket that spends millions of dollars on marketing, why wouldn't an industry like yogurt or potato chips, stuff you eat every day, why wouldn't that account for more spending than an election. An election is a one-time decision. It's a free decision. It's a decision that, sure, will probably have huge consequences, but it's a one-time thing. It takes an hour or two of your day. To compare an election, this one-time decision on these products that you eat or consume or use day in, day out, just not an apt comparison. Also, if you really want to be logical, we shouldn't be comparing all spending on elections to all spending on a category of foodstuffs because almost all the spending in elections, I mean, some goes for polling and some goes for staffing, but the vast majority is for TV advertisements or advertisements in general. So we should only be comparing things like potato chip advertising and yogurt advertising, and then elections would look bigger. Also, isn't it weird that we're comparing the full-time job of the potato chip guy, like be he the Lay's Owl or the Frito Bandito? I mean, his job, his business is getting money. We know all these people wake up and they're into marketing or branding or selling you potato chips. A few actually raise the potatoes, but they're into how do I take this product and get money, get you to give me your money for this product. They're engaged in the exchange of money. But a politician is not engaged in the exchange of money. I mean, maybe they are, but that would be buying into the other side of this argument that there's way too much money in politics. I mean, if we say this is a good comparison, we're essentially conceding that it's the job of a politician to make sure they get as much money as they can every day, all day, just like it's the job of that Frito-Lay executive. Chris Cezilla in the Washington Post, he tackled the issue. He talked about the comparison between this and things like the gun and ammo industry. Yes, we spend more on guns and ammo. He points out that if you look at who donated over 200 bucks, which is uh, under 200 bucks, you don't have to file, it really came from only 600-something thousand people. So the salient point, he says, is that so very few people actually wound up donating anything. So we have these industries, or we have politics, which is comparable to, say, yogurt or potato chips, but only a couple hundred thousand people spent anything on politics where how many people spent something, a dollar, 50 cents on potato chips last year in our country of 315 million people, probably 200 something million people. What this means is that politics or an election is much, much more undemocratic when compared to potato chips. Oh, and one more thing. That first statement that set me off, Boehner's antacid statement, it was wrong. Polyfact checked it. In America, we spend about $2 billion on antacids. Our campaigns in the last cycle cost us $3.6 billion. I think that's a number high enough to cause some heartburn. And that's it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi produces the gist backed by a youth choir singing selections from Buckner and Garcia selections other than Pac-Man Fever. Just managing producer Joel Meyer performs his daily tasks as backed by a bunch of Tuvan throat singers doing their version of the theme to the fall guy. Andy Bauer's executive producer has assembled 50 musicians from throughout the world. They join up via garage band and they back him to the tune of the trolley song from Meet Me in St. Louis. 
They might be giants, do not resort to any of this. They back themselves up or front themselves, depending on how you look at it. And sure, every Monday, they give us a free tune, a debut song. You can listen to this song by calling 844-387-9692. That's the number to dial a song. But every Monday, there's a debut right here on The Gist that you will not hear. I'm the unknown stuntman. You will not hear clang, 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 ding, 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 zing, 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 went my heart. You will not hear anything like going berserk or do the Donkey Kong. You will hear They Might Be Giants' newest song, Glean. (laughs) 